All right, y'all, this is the final session. And honestly, I think this is the one that's gonna resonate with a lot of churches in America the most. This is the church of Laodicea. This is the church that was lukewarm. Now, what do I mean when I say that? Here's what I mean. We wrestle with materialism in the United States. It's easy for us to think that success in regards to the mission of God means bigger buildings and more people inside of them. Jesus Christ gives an honest assessment to the church in Laodicea, and I want us to put our ears in tune with the Spirit of God as we listen to see Jesus' assessments of the church in Laodicea, and I pray that we will never be lukewarm like this body was. Jesus identifies himself as the amen, the true and living witness to the church in Laodicea. This was the lukewarm church. By calling himself the amen, what he is telling them is that his assessment of their reality is pure. It's right, it's spot on, it's 100% accurate. And the reason this is important is because the church in Laodicea, well, if they had to assess themselves, and let's say they would put themselves on a grading scale, they would always grade themselves 100% a plus. And Jesus, the true and faithful witness, is telling them, I've assessed you perfectly, and I'm telling you, at best, you're a C minus. He says, you are neither hot, on fire, passionately pursuing me, but you're not cold either, meaning you're rejecting me, denouncing me, and walking away from me. You're playing the middle. You're trying to give the appearance that you love me, but you're having this love affair with the world at the same time. You know, it kind of even reminds me of that phrase, lukewarm and coffee. Uh, I love coffee. My wife has literally built a coffee bar in our kitchen specifically for me. It was my birthday present. And it was a blessing to see when I came off the road and came home, this wonderful little nook created just for me with various craftiness, coffee mugs, different types of coffee, teas, a French press, everything you can imagine. She built me my own coffee bar so I could be my own barista every morning. I love having coffee in the mornings. I love it piping hot. And I remember one time my wife woke me up from a sleep and she said, hey, let's go take the kids out for breakfast this morning. I said, man, that sounds good. I'm actually in the mood for some pancakes. So we went to a restaurant and I forewent my normal cup of coffee in the morning at the house. And the waitress came to our table and she asked what we would like to order to drink. My kids went first, my wife followed, and I said, man, I want coffee. Dark roast, as hot as you can get it. Within a few minutes, she came back and she poured my cup of coffee and I looked at the coffee and I looked back at the menu and I was kind of perusing to see what I was in the mood for to couple with my order for pancakes. And without looking at the cup of coffee, I began to take a sip and I recognized this coffee was not piping hot like I ordered, but at the same time, I've been known to drink some cold brew coffee, which I'm growing in my affection for. This was lukewarm. And as soon as it entered my mouth, I spit it right back out into the cup. My kids began to laugh. My wife said, what's wrong? I said, this is lukewarm. This is nasty. I don't, I, and I'm not the type of person to complain about my food. Sincerely, my wife would say amen if she was standing next to me. I don't like to send an order back to the kitchen. I used to work as a waiter. Trust me, I get it. But this was a moment that I felt that I had to stand my ground. And I said, I would love and I need and I put in an order for a piping hot, fresh cup of coffee. The lukewarm ugh, just made me sick. Now you think about that, and this is what Jesus is saying. Remember, he's the amen, the true and faithful witness, and he is telling the church in Laodicea, your assessment is off. You are not an A+, at best a C-. You're neither hot 
nor cold. You're lukewarm. And Jesus tells the church in Laodicea, if you don't get your act together, if you do not rekindle the passionate flame that was burning for me once before, then you're going to stay lukewarm and I will spew you out of my mouth. So we have to ask ourselves, how did the church in Laodicea get to this point? They were once hot and on fire and they began to progressively cool down. Well, Jesus tells them, you're rich. You say you don't need anything from me. They thought that because of their amassed material wealth, they didn't need Jesus. They didn't need anything from God. You know, it reminds me of an ongoing conversation I've had with a specific brother. He has been raised in the church. He graduated from high school and he then decided, I'm going to depart from the church because I've had my time and I've done my time. Now I'm going to go out into the world and I'm going to make a success of myself. And quickly, he climbed the corporate ladder. He started bringing in over six figures a year in his annual salary. He was so crafty at what he did that he won awards every year. He gained accolades. He would get promotions thrown at him left and right. And for over a decade, he was so successful that over the course of time, he forgot who God was and thought he had no need for God. But then something happened. His company lost business and they ended up closing and he lost his job. He almost lost his marriage in the process. And at that moment of crisis, he reached out to me and said, man, why are these things happening? And I began to channel him towards the reality of the gospel and massaging his heart to look at how all of this material success was his idol. And now it seems as if God is giving him grace by shattering the reality of his idolatry and saying this whole time you've needed Jesus, but this idol has taken your eyes away from the necessity of Christ in your life. So he turned to Christ in that moment of a crisis. And over the next few years, he began to build himself back up financially. And guess what? Then once again, he strayed and said, I have no need for God. See, it's not just, man, when the moment happens and I'm a crisis situation, like, Lord, I need you, but it's the reality again of a consistent, faithful pursuit of Jesus. And the church in Laodicea felt they had no need for Jesus. So Jesus confronts them directly and says, no, you need to not seek the financial wherewithal that you have right now. In fact, you need to cash in, if you will, your chips in the world, and you need to buy gold from me that is pure and refined in fire. So what Jesus is telling them is this, although materialistically you have an abundance, spiritually you are in poverty. And Jesus is calling them to declare spiritual bankruptcy. Now, the reality of bankruptcy, as we know, is when your amount of debt is so great that the income streams you have coming in makes it impossible to pay off your debt. So you go to the courts and you say, I need to declare bankruptcy so that all of my creditors will stop harassing me and I can be discharged and free from all of my debt because it is impossible for me to pay all my creditors back. And depending on which chapter you file, there is one possibility of everything going away and you being discharged from all of your debt. Spiritual bankruptcy is even greater than physical bankruptcy because, see, spiritual bankruptcy says, regardless of my financial wherewithal, whether I am impoverished or whether I am wealthy, spiritually, I was born dead in sin. Spiritually, I'm a slave to sin. Spiritually, there was a debt from my sin hanging over my head and no good work no charitable deed, 
No amount of church attendance or the awarding of a Sunday school pen could give me any room to pay off this debt. I can make no contribution to paying off my debt. That's when Jesus comes in. Jesus gave his life in place of sinners. And his perfect sacrifice and his shed blood, according to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, washes away our sin debt. But we must come to the point where we declare spiritual bankruptcy. We acknowledge I'm in debt. I can't pay off my debt. I can't even chip away at it. Jesus, save me from the penalty of my debt, in which his blood washes it away. And it's not like he just brings our account back to zero. He then credits us with a deposit of his infinite amount of righteousness, and he clothes us in his righteousness. And the Father looks at us, and he declares us not guilty for all of our sin. He declares us discharged from all of our sin debt, all because of the perfect payment of Jesus's shed blood. That's the gospel. That is us being declared justified by God, and now we are walking progressively in the process of sanctification until we see Jesus face to face which is the state of glorification. See, the gospel reminds us of the depth of the love that the Father has for us. And this is why Jesus tells the church in Laodicea, look, I know you're lukewarm, and I don't want to spit you out of my mouth. So listen, I love you, and I love you, and the evidence of my love is going to be found in my discipline because I discipline those who I love. You know, that parallels wonderfully in Hebrews chapter 12. In Hebrews chapter 12, the author of Hebrews tells us that God is a father who loves us and he disciplines those whom he loves. He disciplines his children. What a privilege it is to be a child of God. You know, again, the gospel reminds us that we weren't born in the family of God spiritually. We were separated from God. Our sinfulness separated us from a holy and righteous God. But when we heard the gospel and the Holy Spirit quickened our heart to embrace Jesus Christ, we were adopted into the family of God. So now we are his children. We are co-heirs with Jesus Christ. Now that beautiful, deep truth should allow us to then receive the discipline of our loving Father. You know, this reminds me of the reality of my wife and I disciplining our children. We love our children, all three of them. They stress us out sometimes. I mean, as all children do, I did to my parents. I guess I'm reaping what I sowed. My mama would tell me that all the time growing up, and now I recognize it. But you know what? One thing I love about my wife and I, and specifically speaking to the discipline process of our children, is that we couple it with instruction and prayer. So that way, we are instilling in our children an understanding of this. It's not behavior modification we're after. It's heart transformation. So heart transformation, I believe, takes place in an environment when truth is given with transparency and the Holy Spirit then begins to do the supernatural work that mom and dad cannot do in the heart and the life of a child. And so we tell our children, we're disciplining you because you did this. And you can stop doing this action, but your heart can never change. You're just not wanting to get put on punishment again. But that's not going to teach you anything. So we are coupling that with prayer and saying, let's go before the Lord and let's start a rhythm of prayer so that whenever we do something wrong, we know that we can run to our loving Father, we can confess our sin, and we can be forgiven and restored in right fellowship with our Father because of the work of Jesus. This is what he's saying to the church in Laodicea, is that they need to repent. And they need to once again recalibrate their heart to the gospel, come to the Father, and have a burning passion for Jesus Christ. You know, I think one of the greatest stumbling blocks in our lives that prevents us from this level of humility is pride. So often, 
We can become that lukewarm church made up of lukewarm believers because we're giving ourselves a higher grade than what Jesus and his word is actually saying our performance looks like. Perhaps we're giving ourselves an A in the area of materialism when Jesus is saying, no, you're not doing well in this area. But specifically speaking of pride, I think of Isaiah chapter 66, verse 1 and 2, and clearly God is saying, I created all of the universe, all of the gorgeousness of my creative genius has been put on display, but you know what has my attention? It's not the roaring of the seas, it's not the beautiful landscapes of the mountains, it's not the city skyline at night. No, what has the attention of God's gaze is the heart that is humble before him, that trembles at his word. The greatest way that we can walk in victory over being lukewarm is by having humility as the rhythm of our lives. We can remain humble by confessing our sin, by going to our community of believers and saying, identify my blind spots. Show me the areas that I think I'm excelling in when in actuality I'm failing in. And then when it's made evident to me, May I then now confess that, acknowledge that, declare my dependency on the local church around me to help steward me back to spiritual health in those areas, all the while walking in humility before my God. That's the way that our local churches can stay away from becoming the lukewarm church. We can stay on fire for God if we just stay humble and broken before him. You know, it's been a joy to walk through these sessions with you. And my prayer is that you would look at all the principles given in all seven of these churches and that you would identify some rhythms and some synergy that you see in your own life individually, but more importantly, collectively within the body of Christ that you are a part of. And that you would look at these studies and you would say, Lord, speak to us through these studies. Identify for us the areas that we are not doing well in. Identify for us the seasoned saints that we should look to to be our examples of remaining faithful, full of zeal for gospel proclamation and discipleship development. I pray that you would be quickened to confess the realities if you're sleeping in the light of Jesus Christ, or if corruption is being embraced in your midst, or if you're compromising your faith or the integrity of the gospel, that you would renounce such works, that you would allow Jesus Christ to correct you through the proclamation of his word, through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and that you and the local church holistically would be recalibrated to the cross of Christ, and you would march onward, Christian soldiers. It is my prayer that you would take heed to the words of Jesus. Remember he said, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Remember, he's speaking to us in our day. So we must be faithful stewards of God's word and appropriate our Bible study, our small group discussion, and say, how can we march forward applying the words of Christ so that we can be the ones who conquer? so that we can be the ones who conquer fear in sleep. We can be the ones that walk in victory in Jesus Christ and we finish our race strong. And when we cross that finish line into the arms of our Savior, he will say, well done, my good and faithful servants. That's my prayer. And guess what? I'm joining you on the front line. As I pray for you, pray for me. And as we enter glory together, may we recognize we walked in victory on this side of eternity until we heard, well done, my good and faithful servants.